You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Everybody doing well? If you're not doing well, that's okay. You're in the right place. The Holy Spirit is here. And he is doing all kinds of things in our lives. Amen. Um, just want to just let you all know how thankful I am for Sam and Samantha McCabe, folks that were leading worship this morning. Can we give them another round of thanks? They're, um, they're, they're young people. I think they're both in their 20s still. Y'all in your 20s? Y'all hit 30 this year? Oh, you're across, across the threshold. Okay. Into the age of authority. But when I first met Sam, I think he was like 24, 25, and he interviewed me for a podcast, and I'd never met him face-to-face, but I thought he was like a 40-year-old man because his voice was so deep, and he asked really good questions on the podcast, which I don't always get. I was kind of shocked by it, but um, that's that's how we met, and we've been friends, I think, since 2015 or 2016 or something like that, and just over the years have developed a, a real good relationship with them, and um you know, Samantha was singing prophetically this morning about singing from that, that high praise from the lowest place. Did you catch that when she was singing that? And just to contextualize that a little bit for you, um, Sam and Samantha are, they're worshiping people, who, but, but they're not celebrities and they're as talented as they are. They're not building their worship ministry off of um, a non-reality. And, and what I mean is, is that they've actually suffered really greatly in their life. So when they start talking about praising God from the lowest place, they're people who have lost big and learned how to find meaning with the Lord in the toughest of times. And I think that is such a powerful testimony. That's what I want my testimony in my life to be. I, I actually have discovered so much about the Lord and who the Lord is in some of the darkest moments of my life. And um, it's really interesting when it comes to praise and worship. Uh, sometimes the only thing that you have to give God is a whisper. And, and that's enough. And the, the thing, I, and we're gonna we're gonna be talking about prayer this morning. But what I've discovered about true prayer and true worship, you know, in that that last song that we were singing today, you are worthy of it all. There's the bridge, and it says, "Day and night, night and day, let incense rise." Well, the incense is really a metaphor, or it's a picture of the prayers and the worship, the love that's being offered from the body of Christ to the Lord Himself. And if you're like me, you like to be standing in a room full of 10,000 people all singing at the tops of their lungs. There's just nothing better than that. There's just that force of strength, that inertia that is so enjoyable just to hear the church of Jesus Christ singing praise, right? But then there's these other times where you have no strength at all. You barely have any faith at all. And the only praise that you have to offer is a whisper. And maybe the only prayer that you have to offer is help me, Lord. I have so much faith in the Lord that he is able to take those things, those little offerings that we have, and he does great things with them. I don't quite know how that works, but the book of Hebrews talks about Jesus is our high priest. 
Jesus is our high priest. He's our good advocate. He stands before the Father in taking all of our little ineptitudes, and he makes them really amazing, right? So thank you guys for being here. We love y'all. Guys, um, today, the title of my message is The Joyful Life of Prayer, Part 1. I'm probably going to spend some time with y'all teaching on prayer over the next few weeks. I think, I think on the schedule, I think we got Robin coming up maybe in the next week or so, but uh, in, into the, into the fall autumn season, I'm going to be talking about prayer, which is new for me. I've never really preached on prayer. I'm not a prayer guy. I'll just go ahead and say that. I don't really know much about prayer. So, um, yeah, that's really, really interesting. The preacher gets up and says he doesn't know anything about what he's about to talk about. Um, but you know, I think that, uh, we're all on this journey of discovering the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And if you don't know about something, you go find out about it, you know, and then you can tell somebody else about it. You don't have to be an expert, you know? Um, but what I want to do in this next season at Queen City Church is I want us to reorient ourselves in the basic beliefs of the Christian faith. All right. So this is what I've been thinking about Queen City lately. Queen City is a congregation of Christian people who are attempting to live under the authority of Christ in the teachings of Scripture through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the project that we're working on right now, all right? It's kind of like stating the obvious, but I think it's worth saying. So we believe that the good news that Jesus came preaching and teaching is the gospel, and the gospel is, this is what the gospel is, it's the beautiful story that God's kingdom has come. All right, there's different versions of that. There's different articulations and interpretations of that. But that's what we're hanging on to is that the gospel is the beautiful story that God's kingdom has come. Jesus said this. He said of God, of God's kingdom, it is near you. It has come upon you. It is among you and it is within you. All right. These are all the places that the kingdom of God is located. It is near you. It has come upon you. It is among you and it is within you. This is very good news because when the rule and reign of God's kingdom comes to a place, guess what? The other kings and their kingdoms are displaced. Yeah, so so we we want to be a part of co-laboring with God in kind of like releasing the reality of that kingdom. Now, it's, it's not that God's kingdom isn't located in some, or, or it's not that God's kingdom is located in some places and not in others. If you read some of the parables, uh, they talk about, uh, God's kingdom being like, like yeast. Yeast is in the whole thing. You can't see it. You can't lay your eyes on it. You can't touch it. You can smell it a little bit, but, um, it's, it's hard to see, but it's everywhere. So when we talk about laboring with God in realizing his kingdom on the earth, um, well, let me, let me say this. God's kingdom is not an abstract or theoretical kingdom. It is not a theory of good news. What it means is that the blessing of God has come for all people in concrete and intangible ways. You can waste a whole lot of your life leaving the kingdom of God in the land of the mystery, in the land of the abstract, and in the land of theory, 
But that's not what Jesus ever meant to do. I loved when, when Shelly was uh, getting up here and praying today and she was uh, rebuking sickness. She was rebuking bad things off of people. You might, you might hear that and that might sound a little strange uh, to you. I read all of the gospel of Luke this week. I'm not bragging. It's my job. I, I have time to do that. You know, if you have some free time, maybe you should read the Bible occasionally. But I read all of the, the gospel of Luke today and I noticed this thing. Jesus went about teaching about the kingdom of God and he did this other thing. He went around rebuking devils. He went around healing the sick. He went around releasing people in bondage from their bondage. Okay, we don't necessarily uh, see that type of activity in ministry the way uh, we see it in the text, but I do believe that it's possible, all right? So the good news which Jesus came announcing was that the poor, the oppressed, the captive, the hungry, the weeping, and those in mourning would all find their freedom from their afflictions in the kingdom of God. So kingdom of God sounds wooey wooey, sounds theoretical. It sounds mysterious. There is a mysterious quality about it, but the tangible and concrete parts of the kingdom can be realized. They're realized through applying Jesus's teaching to your life. And like Shelley was doing, praying for the sick, praying for the oppressed, releasing the captives from their captivity. And sometimes that's just as simple as saying the words out of your mouth. You don't have to have a doctorate in supernatural healing in order to pray for somebody who's sick. You don't even have to have all the faith. You just have to take a little step out. All right. So Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. And where did he locate the kingdom of God? Near you, upon you, in your midst, and in you. All right? So today I'm going to talk about the joyful life of prayer. And I have really good news for you guys. I am learning how to preach. And I am learning how to shrink down my notes. My my wife said to me last week or the week before, man, 14 pages of notes is too much, Andy. You're getting ridiculous. So I have I have parsed it down to seven pages today. So... <laughs> So, yes, we're growing, aren't we, church? Everyone's like, oh, God, yes, amen. <laughs> All right. So one of the most viable ways which the kingdom of God works its way into the world is that it first works its way into you and me. All right. So there was a there was a passage in one of the Gospels where Jesus says, hey, you should be aware when somebody's walking around going, the kingdom of God is over here. The kingdom of God is over here. Oh, look, there's the kingdom of God. Like he was warning against people who were claiming to be messiahs or who were claiming to be the son of God, setting up God's kingdom on earth. And Jesus was like, no, don't pay attention to any of that stuff because the kingdom of God is located where? In your midst. All right, inside of you, near you, it's come upon you where God wants to realize his kingdom first and primarily is in you and me. All right. And one of the most wonderful ways which the kingdom of God exhibits its reality in you and I is through the wonderful gift of prayer. Now, I want to tell you this, that word prayer 
has so much baggage attached to it that I can hardly stand it, all right? Uh, there's been a million books written on prayer. There's been a million people talk about prayer. I've actually had to sidestep a whole lot of that teaching, and I'm sure most of it is good, but I've had to ask the Lord for myself to help me get back into this reality of prayer. Because for most of my life, what I have thought about prayer is that it's for the super spiritual and ultra righteous people to do. It's for the ladies on um, Wednesday nights who gather at the church to pray. Listen, I want to tell you this funny story. My friend Jacob Early, um, I, I worked at this church for 14 years where I was the worship leader. And then my friend Jacob Early took my job for me. And now he's the worship leader over there. And uh, he was telling me one day that he was walking through the hallways at his church. And it was it was a Wednesday. It was an afternoon. And uh, he heard all of this noise coming out of this room. And he walked by the room and he opens the door and there's 12 ladies in there and they're all praying. They're all praying at once. Like, you know, in the second chapter of Acts where everybody was gathered in that room and they were all praying together, you know? And Jacob told me this. He just told me this last week. He realized this thing. He said, Andy, what's happening in that room on Wednesday nights is why we can do what we do on Sunday mornings. He said that prayer is actually the engine of the church. You actually can't have a supernatural people without a supernatural activity. And prayer is in its essence supernatural activity. You're engaging in a practice that on a rational level makes no sense at all. But it is actually the main thrust of the Christian life. And so when I heard Jacob say this, it was like something went off in me. I was like, ooh, that smells like something. Uh, that needs, that's a trail I need to start heading down in my own life. Because I, I felt, I felt the lack of prayer in my life actually having an effect on my faith. Okay? So what, here's what I want to do today. I want to accomplish today that we would be reinvigorated to become people of prayer, that we would see that having an ongoing and robust and active life of prayer is not a thing reserved for other people, super spiritual, ultra righteous people. It is actually a gift of grace for every one of us followers of Jesus that is meant to strengthen us through an ongoing presence oriented encounter with the living God. All right. So the framework today is going to be a little bit different because I think for me, why I've struggled with prayer is that I've always thought of it as having a list of things that I was supposed to ask God for. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, like it's time to pray. Okay. What are the things that I need that I'm supposed to ask God for? Because I know I have not because I ask not. Okay. Well, so what are those things? And you start like spewing out all of these things and you're not quite sure there's, there's no heart connection between you and the Holy Spirit. It just feels like dry. It feels rote. It's a little bit discouraging, a little bit annoying, totally frustrating. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So what I'm actually trying to dive into with this, this idea of prayer is that it's an invitation from the Lord into a togetherness with him. Let me say it to you this way. Prayer is the practice of togetherness with God. 
It's not us bringing our list of needs, although it can include that because Lord knows we need help, right? But that is not fundamentally what it is. Prayer is us, you and I, whether it's corporately or individually, practicing togetherness with God. All right? Okay, so I want to start off reading a few scriptures from the Gospel of Luke. I'm not going to have these on the slide. I'm just going to shotgun through these, all right? Uh, so Luke 4, 4, 442. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. That's, that's what he did. He just got up and he went to an isolated place. Luke 5.16, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Luke 6.12, one day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray and he prayed to God all night. Luke 9, one day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Luke 11, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, Okay, so here's what we can say. Jesus was a person of prayer, all right? He was a busy person. Jesus was a busy person. He had lots of things to say. He had lots of places to go. He had lots of work to do. But Jesus craved prayer. He craved the joyful life of prayer. He craved togetherness with his heavenly father. He he craved time spent with his God. The world which Jesus came to was fraught with difficulty. The world was governed by the Roman Empire. There were all kinds of political and cultural tensions happening. People were extremely busy navigating their lives. People had a lot to contend with, just like we do now. Life then was life, was like life now, busy and difficult. Do you ever wake up in the morning, get out of bed, and just think, life is busy and difficult, and I don't know what to do? Life is busy and difficult. I have no strength with which to endure or navigate my busy and difficult life. You know, sometimes your life just gets to a place where it's not even, you would like it to be busy and difficult. Now it's just impossible for you. Have you ever had your life or been in a season or seasons where life is just extremely impossible? All right? Prayer was an essential part of Jesus's life. It wasn't a dry religious thing that he did. It was part of his life, which infused him with strength, encouragement, and purpose. Jesus knew that when one spends time with God, God's kingdom has a way of making its way into your heart. So prayer is practicing togetherness with God. And in this togetherness, the kingdom of God becomes a reality in you. And then that reality makes its way into the world. I mean, God's slow project of building the kingdom of God is slow because he has so much patience with you and I. (laughs) So this cultural moment that we live in, for, hey, hey, I want to say this thing. I want to pause this sermon for just a second. Pause this sermon. Don't lose your place, but I want to pause this. I would like to practice a form of public humility for just a second and walk something backwards that I said last week 
Um, my message last week was really good, okay? If, if you haven't heard it, go listen to it. Share it with your friends. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really important that people stay soft, people stay tender, people stay teachable. And when you say something that's not necessarily 100% correct, it's okay to be corrected, you know? So I made a statement about people preparing for doomsday by building bunkers and buying buckets of food. And I made this claim that if you're doing that, you're not exactly following Jesus. And I would like to back off of that for just a second. You can actually follow Jesus and buy buckets of food at the same exact time. All right. So if you feel compelled to prep to to any degree, I would say you're okay, but you know, just don't let it master you. Let Jesus be your master. Let the Holy Spirit be your master. Um, and then buy bags of beans. I don't care. Like, you know, I mean, if, if, if the world ends tomorrow and you've got all the beans, I'm coming to your house. You know, it's just like, it'll be great. We'll have refried beans and it just be wonderful, you know? So, amen. Y'all down with that? That's a, that's a good adjustment, right? All right. So, uh, let's see. So we live in this, uh, this cultural moment that is incredibly anxiety inducing. And I know I've said this from this pulpit before, but I think it's worth saying again. The speed of life, the volume of information we consume, the never ending stream of bad news, the intensity of politics, all of the swirl of anxieties around the pandemic. You know the drill. It doesn't take a prophet to be able to see that anxiety and stress are at all-time high levels, okay? As hard as this moment is that we're in, we are not a people who have been left to our own devices. Sometimes it feels like that, and depending on the voices that we're listening to, we can believe the lie that we've been left to our own devices, and that is not true. God has not left us to ourselves he has not left us to our, with our own abilities to cope with this world. I'm telling you, if you've, if you have felt despair working on your, your heart or your mind, it's probably because you've believed the lie that you are without recourse. Okay. That you don't have the things that you need to face the world that you're facing. I'm telling you, God has given us everything that we need to successfully navigate through this world of anxiety. I'm not saying that you'll be successful. I'm just saying that it is possible for there to be a storm on the outside with you having peace on the inside. All right? So the question that we do have to ask ourselves is this. How then shall we live? Is there a real path to following Jesus in this time? There's been some confusion about that. There's all kinds of different voices that are saying all kinds of different things. Who do we know to follow? How do we know who to follow? In a world that is so disorienting, is there a way that we can orient ourselves? And you know the answer. The answer is absolutely yes. So I want to tell you a little story. I hope that you know the story. It's found in the book of uh, Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 10, if you have your iPhone or if you've got your leather-bound Bible, grab it up. Open up to Luke chapter 10. 
Um, I know you've heard this story before. I love this story. I think Martha gets a really bad rap in this story, um, but I'm going to continue to give her a bad rap. So uh, we'll, we'll redeem her at another point. But today she's, she's um, yeah. So it goes like this. As Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and she said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all of these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered that thing and it will not be taken away from her. So the Mary of this story discovered that there really is only one thing in life worth being concerned about. She found the joy of togetherness with God. She found the joy of being with Christ. She had an opportunity to probably work in the kitchen with her sister and help and serve, but she saw that there was something better and more important. Christ was in her presence and she sat herself at his feet so that she could hear his words of life. I just think that sometimes I'm just so busy cooking in the kitchen that I forget that I need to be consoled with Jesus's words of life. I'm so busy trying to figure out what all of these other people think out here that I forget the thing that really relieves the anxiety in my heart and in my mind and in my soul. And that comes from togetherness with Jesus. Amen. So Mary discovered that. Prayer is the practice of being in God's presence and God being in her presence. Isn't that cool? We're always talking about coming into God's presence, but God is just as much in your presence. Martha was frustrated and busy. Her life of busyness had left her what? Depleted and cranky. Depleted and cranky. There's a whole lot of depleted and cranky people on the internet. There are a whole lot of depleted and cranky people driving on Highway 16 on the way to my house. Everybody is cranky and they're cranky because they're depleted. They're living on fumes. I mean, Jesus followers, I know Jesus followers living on fumes. I've been living on fumes. But I am not left to that. Jesus has made this thing available to me so that I don't have to live my life depleted and cranky, but I can live with the relief and the comfort of the Holy Spirit operating in my life. We are beings, okay, you and I actually are, are becoming continually depleted by the world that we live in, all right? You're never not going to be depleted by the world that you live in because there's always stuff coming at us, right? 
Jesus knew this. This is why in those first five scriptures that I read you, he was going to an isolated place. He was going to the mountain. He was going to the wilderness. He was going someplace. One of the scriptures said he prayed all night with God. We're talking about Jesus, the son of God, the man Christ. He was fully God and fully man. And he went and prayed all night because when he was walking through the world, doing what God told him to do, he was being depleted. Jesus was being weakened. He was losing strength. He had to go find out what God was saying. He had to go find out what God was saying to him. So prayer is the space and the place which allows for all kinds of restoration to take place. Prayer is the space which allows for all kinds of restoration to take place. You constantly need to be restored. The psalmist David said this. He said, the Lord leads me to those places where I can be restored. This is why we come to church all the time. So we can be restored. So we can hear a good word. So we can worship God because we need to worship God. I feel like so many people are are anxious in this world because they don't have a God to serve. They don't have a God to worship. That sounds very ancient, very medieval, but people need God. They need to worship God. Many of us have hearts that are weary and depleted because we've been utilizing the ways of the world to give us comfort. But God hardwired us for his presence. He hardwired us for his joy. And he hardwired us for communion with him through prayer. See, the truth is, no matter what, you're going to be formed by something. There is something that is going to form your life. We were created to be formed. We, we don't just live in a vacuum where nothing affects us. The world, the place, the story, everything that we're living through is forming us. And if you're always Martha in the kitchen, busy with this distraction, you will be formed by that. And you will begin to look cranky and depleted. And you will start thinking that that's who you really are. If you're cranky and depleted long enough, you will believe that about yourself, that that's who you are. And when you start acting like that long enough, people will begin to say that that's who you are. And it's not true. When we give ourselves to a joyful life of prayer, we put ourselves in the place where our hearts can be healed of our world weariness. Man, isn't it so good that we serve a God who literally said to all of us, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. That is the God we serve. Come to me and I will give you rest. This is the promise of togetherness with God. I think a lot of people stay out of the realm of, of, of prayer because they think they're unworthy. You think you, you, you've done too many bad things in your life that you can't enter the place of, of prayer. But Jesus has made us clean. You know, the Bible says that you are the righteousness of God. You right now sitting in that seat, you are the righteousness of God. That's a crazy idea. But that's what makes that, that place of togetherness with God possible. 
Prayer is practicing togetherness with God. But here's the thing about togetherness. It takes deliberate action. Amy and I have to keep our relationship cultivated. If we're bypassing each other in the house, walking past each other, living our, our, our separate lives, we're not practicing togetherness. I mean, the sad part of our lives is that we've gotten to the point where we each have to sit down with a hard copy uh, calendar and we, we schedule in our time together month or two in advance because we know if we don't have togetherness, we will, we will miss each other. Our relationship will suffer. She and I actually need to spend time together saying words to one another and listening to each other. Okay, this what is true of your natural relationships with either your spouse or your kids or your friends or your parents, that back and forth exchange of words. That's important that what is important for you in your natural relationships is also important for you in your relationship with Jesus. He wants to sit with you. Sometimes he wants to sit with you in silence and he just wants you to sit there and he just wants you to listen. And sometimes he's not even going to say anything. He just wants you to sit there in his presence. And then sometimes he'll have a word for you and he'll say things to you. And sometimes you'll be able to say things to him. And you'll actually experience the Lord listening to your words. You know, a lot of people walk through the world feeling like they're not seen or heard. Guess who will see and hear you anytime you want? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's here. And he will hear you and he will see you. Togetherness takes deliberate action like any healthy relationship. Prayer is togetherness with God. Prayer is practiced friendship with God. Prayer is practiced friendship. I hate to admit that probably... Um, my friendship with God has probably been, you know, less than it should be. The thing I just so love about the grace of God is that he can just accelerate us where we need to be. Amen. We just say yes to the Lord and the things that he wants to do. And he just accelerates us to those places. It's so easy to get in step with the spirits. So I mentioned this already. But prayer is not a listing off of all the things you think you need from God. You can tell God the things that you need, but that's not what prayer is. Prayer is not a formula that you can apply to your life so that your life will be easier. I think a lot of people have gotten disenchanted or disillusioned with prayer because they thought that they could, they thought that prayer was useful and it was a thing that if you did it, your life you would have all your, your questions answered. And a lot of times when you start engaging in prayer, sometimes you get more questions than you get answers. But those questions are actually meant to draw you deeper into relationship with the Lord. I'm not saying he won't answer your questions. I'm not, I'm not saying he won't offer you solutions. But the answer solution framework for you and God, that's like a non-starter. You don't have to think about it in those terms. Prayer is you being together with the Lord. And it's that primarily. 
Prayer is not a recipe for your success. You don't have to become disillusioned with God because you've asked him for success in all of these different areas of your life and you don't get instant success. I'm not saying you won't be successful at some point in your life, but that's not what prayer exists for. Here's what prayer is. Prayer is an act of trusting God. Prayer is a way of trusting God. Prayer is an ongoing act of trusting God. Prayer is an ongoing way of trusting God. The author of the book of Luke, his name was Luke. He set Jesus' teaching on prayer right on the heels of the story of Martha and Mary. So the page breaks, the chapter breaks, the verse assignments did not exist when Luke wrote this, this book. And what's so interesting is right after the story of Mary and Martha, or Martha and Mary, right after Jesus is telling Martha, hey, guess what? Mary is concerned with the most important thing. Luke goes right in to Jesus's main teaching on prayer. That, that doesn't happen by accident. You could really miss that if you're just paying too much attention to the chapter break. You could think, oh, end of the chapter 10, starting with 11, it's a new thought. It's not a new thought. It's the same thought. Luke saw fit to do a compare and contrast between Martha and Mary and then go straight into a teaching on prayer. And you know it so well, you know this, you know this teaching, but I love this passage. It's, it's become so powerful to me again. It's very familiar so that it is very worn down, but we often miss the incredible reality that is being described in Luke chapter 11 in, in Jesus's teaching on prayer. The reason why this moment, let, let me just, let me just read this in the New Living real quick. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So obviously the followers of Jesus have been witnessing Jesus go off and pray all of the time. And they want to know, what is it that you know that you keep doing this over and over? We want to be in on this so we can get on this too. Because if it's important to you, Jesus, we're, we're starting to catch that it should be important to us. And Jesus says this. Well, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food that we need and forgive us our sins. And we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. So the reason why we kind of need to see this moment fresh again is because we're so familiar with the Lord's prayer that we actually miss the idea that Jesus is opening everything up right here to anybody who is willing to have it. So prior to this moment, 
Within the Jewish tradition, only the super spiritual and ultra righteous had access to togetherness with God. Right? Jesus was constantly in conflict with the scribes and the Pharisees. He was always contending against them because what they did was they made God over here and the people over here. So any talk of prayer to the people, they had to do, they had to jump through all of these religious hoops to get to the place of maybe someday experiencing togetherness with God. And Jesus in this moment is saying, here is how you can have an ongoing togetherness with the one who formed you before you were born, dreamed about you before you were even alive. You were the dream in his heart. This is how you do it. You start with this template. Oh, Jesus, God, Heavenly Father, may your name be kept holy. We were singing that in worship today. We were, Lord, Lord, you deserve the highest praise. You deserve the glory. Guys, that's a prayer. That's a prayer that you sing. May your kingdom come soon. I mean, these are all just phrases that you can just jump off of. It's not that you pray these exact lines every time. These are starting points for us to experience togetherness with God, to let him build his kingdom on the inside of you. This was a new revolutionary blessing when Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Don't, I love this. Don't let us yield to any temptation. And I, and I really mean this when I say this, y'all. I'm closing. In closing. I love this. At the end of chapter 11, or in the middle of chapter 11, at the end of his teaching on prayer, Jesus goes into this space where after he's teaching the Lord's Prayer, he starts talking to his disciples about being persistent in their prayer life, being persistent in their togetherness with God, being persistent in pursuing the kingdom of God in the world. And there's this one phrase he says, uh, you're going to get what you need because of your shameless perseverance, because of your shameless persistence. Anybody want to be shamelessly persistent in your life with God? That's, that's the kind of, kind of anointing I need. And then he goes on, he goes, for I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give him a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So here's the punchline to the joke. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
Jesus' whole point, his whole point, talking about prayer, talking about good things, is an onward outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life, in your life as individuals and in our life corporately. That's such awesome news, y'all. I mean, he's talking to a people who feel like they've been abandoned by God and he's reframing everything for them. He's saying, no, you haven't been abandoned by God. You've been tricked by religion that you don't have access to him. You've been tricked by religion that you don't have access to God, but I'm opening the doorway all the way up. The gate is open. The conduit is empty and you just need to climb on up. Come on in. The, the wine is good and the party is right. And everything that he wants to do includes an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life. Can I get you to come up and strum your guitar? Is Justin, in, Justin, come on up here and Let's get these music, musicians up here. Praise the Lord. Y'all, let's stand together. <clears throat> Man, I did, I did so good, only one closing. Man, I'm getting better at this. Getting better at this. Well, here's the thing. This is the thing that I've discovered about church. You don't have to go to church and experience fireworks every Sunday. You know, um, doing church together, being a part of a church, engaging with other people who call themselves Christians is like this long, slow project in the same way that the kingdom of God is a long, slow project. But this is what I really believe. I believe that we're experiencing a new spiritual inertia in our midst, that the Lord is really taking us to some fantastic places. And and I'm not saying that because we want our church to be 5,000 people big. I'm not saying that we want to be the greatest place on the planet. I'm not saying that we want to be super spiritual and ultra righteous. I'm saying that the Lord is bringing us into a greater awareness of his goodness in the land of the living. And I think that this morning, some of us need to have some of the blindness broken off of our eyes. Some of us need to be healed. And and some of us just need like, I don't know, a greater encounter with the Lord. And it's not hard. It's not hard. And I, and I just want to say this. God's grace is sufficient in your life. God's grace is sufficient in your life. Everything that I talked about this morning doesn't include anything about you getting more spiritual or jumping through any hoops. It is you just simply saying yes to the Lord at whatever place in your life that you're at. It's as simple as that. And then we just let the Holy Spirit do his thing. So I'm just going to ask this simple question. How many of y'all want a more robust life of togetherness called prayer? I mean, just put your hand up. It doesn't have to be high. Just, yeah. I mean, who doesn't want that? Okay. Well, that's what we believe God's going to do for our church, right? 
We are a people of faith. We're a people of prayer. We're living submitted to the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that when we ask God for things, he actually answers us. So let's do this together. Let's just lift our hands. This is what we always do, but we don't know what else to do. So we're going to keep on doing it. Lord Jesus, your goodness is like nothing else that we've encountered. It's like nothing else that we've encountered. And we thank you that we don't have to live afraid of the world that we live in. And we don't have to go to war against the culture that we live in. Because we know, God, that you made this world and this world is good. This world is good because you made it and you created it and you blessed it. And the only thing that's in your heart to do is open people's eyes to how much blessing that you want to pour out. So here's our prayer today that you would start with us, Jesus, that we would have increased awareness of being together with you and that we would not be afraid of diving into a life of prayer and that we would hear testimonies from people in this church of increase in awareness of their togetherness with you, Lord Jesus. God, we boast in nothing else but Christ crucified. This is our boast, Jesus. We have no claims about being super spiritual people. We boast in Christ alone. And we yield to the work of the Spirit in our lives. And man, it's good. Lord, your work is so good. We yield to the power of your spirit in our lives. And it doesn't often come like fireworks, but man, sometimes it does. Lord, we ask that you waken us in the night with dreams and visitations and revelations. And people that want to speak in tongues will speak in tongues. People that want to prophesy will prophesy. People who want to pray for the sick will pray for the sick. And the sick will recover. And the blind will see and the oppressed will be set free. Lord, this week, as we go through our lives that you have given us, we ask you for opportunities to bless the world that we walk through. In your name we pray and all God's people said, amen, amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 